Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. This episode of the Motherkind podcast is kindly sponsored by Zendium Toothpaste. I've been sharing about Zendium for a few weeks now, but did you know that they also do a kids range? So Zendium's kids toothpaste contain natural enzymes already present in the mouth. So every time they brush, it boosts your children's mouth's natural defences, giving them extra power to fight the causes of dental problems. Zendium Kids and Junior Toothpaste have mild flavours, which are perfect for our children's more delicate mouths. And they're free from SLS, which is a foaming agent that can irritate our children's gums. So please do check out the kids range. Also, keep an eye out on the Motherkind Instagram because I'm going to run a competition where you can win both adults and the kids range to try for yourselves. In the meantime, head to zendium.co.uk, pop in Motherkind at the checkout for 20% off. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast. This week I am chatting to mum of three, Jane Tavakalian, better known as Jane the Lightworker. She is an intuitive life and business coach and she leads workshops all over the world, helping people to take their power back and create the life that they really want. Something, as you'll know, I'm incredibly passionate about Jane is also an expert in working with empaths. So you might have heard of this phrase, being an empath, or maybe you've heard of it but don't really know what it means. Well, we get into all of that in the episode, what it means to be an empath and how you will know if you are one. We also talk about if you are sensitive to energies around you, how you can navigate that as a parent, particularly with children bringing the huge energies that they often do Jane also shares her own path to healing and how she's moved from being really disconnected from herself, resentful, guilty, and burnt out even to today, where she feels a genuine sense of joy in her days and self-love. And I think you can hear that in her words and the description of how she's managed to shift her experience of life. It is an incredibly inspiring episode. I really enjoyed chatting with Jane and I think, I hope you're going to get an awful lot out of it. Please do let me know on Instagram. Do you think that you might be an empath? Have you ever considered yourself in this way? And how's this episode changed perhaps how you look at how you absorb energies of those around you? Please do let me know. I love hearing from you, motherkind underscore Zoe on Instagram. And here is the episode. Jane, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited for this conversation because this idea around being an empath is quite new actually to me. And I was digging around looking for someone that I could talk to. That's how I tend to do the podcast. Something comes up for me or a new idea or awareness. And I think I'm desperate to share this with my audience. Who is doing amazing work about this subject? And Angie, who works with me on the podcast and me, were digging around and we found you. And so I've just been consuming 
all of your content in the last couple of weeks, which I can't wait to ask you about. But the first thing that I wanted to ask you about was you describe having had a spiritual awakening. And I wondered if you could share, first of all, how that came to be and what that's meant for you. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me here. I'm happy to be here. And that's amazing what you're doing. In my journey, if I would go back to when I was a child, I would describe myself as feeling weird all the time, misunderstood, and kind of in my own little world. And I remember, you know, having these emotions that I couldn't describe what it was, and I would just bottle everything in. I didn't feel safe to express these emotions. So I didn't have a completely safe space. You know, I was just misunderstood. And as I was growing up, I felt more and more weird. I was socially weird. I was thinking there was something wrong with me, although I would have friends, but at times I would just feel like there's something happening with me. I don't understand what it is. And then I started having my family, my children, you know, and my children obviously helped me to be these mirrors of looking back and tapping into what's happening there. I always say, I wish I knew back then what I know now, because it would have greatly helped me through the parenting journey. And I've read so many self-help books. I started figuring out who I was. I knew there was something more in me being this weird kid. And I remember one day I was having a conversation with a psychic on a phone and she said, you know, you might be an empath. I said, do you know what the empath is? I said, no, but I think that's who I am. So that was kind of like before even Googling what it meant, what's behind all of that. I felt that what it was, you know, And I always say when I work with my clients, you know, you can take that label and stop there or actually dive even deeper into awakening of who you truly are. And as a sensitive person, it can help you on this journey to tap into, you know, there's nothing wrong with me that I'm super sensitive to what's happening around me and I might react certain way to things and understanding that there's nothing wrong with you. So that was my first step to accepting. And that's always self-acceptance that there's nothing wrong with me, you know, and going back to self-love and releasing the judgment. That's a big one also have been on my journey. I'm really interested that you say you always felt weird because I wonder if most children on the inside feel different and weird. And I'm wondering what was that actual experience like for you can you put some more color to how you felt because I know I felt weird I know pretty much everyone that I have this type of intimacy with with where we unpack our childhoods together saying Mm -hmm. I felt weird too so I suspect Mm -hmm. everyone listening is going to go I felt weird but how would someone identify that internal experience as empath as opposed to something else going on I would say as a child I was very aware of the surroundings around me. I remember one time I would just, everybody will be sitting at the table and it was so loud. You know, we had loud family, a lot of guests and, you know, a lot of food and we were, everybody was chatting and I would take myself out of that experience and sort of like, like looking above all of that. And it's like, that's not all to life. 
is there. There's something else. There's something more. It was one of these things. And I remember I was just telling my daughter in the car that I was so intuitive. I could like sense the energy. And I remember being in a camp. I woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning. It was kind of embarrassing and screaming, girls, we have to get out of here. There are ghosts in this town. <laughs> there was just like tapping in into these weird things that you cannot explain. Why do I feel these things? You know, why do I feel? And then, you know, my parents will always tell me, don't cry. Stop crying. Stop being so sensitive. You know, just, you know, that's not good. So all of these things that made me realize that there are certain ways to fit in into the society. I remember as I was growing up, I would be in a company with people and I would be feeling like, just people are just not authentic and I don't want to be here. And I was socially awkward because of that. So I always felt that I was just not nice overall. You know, I had to kind of be nicer to people and fake, be normal. (laughs) And that was always kind of like, gosh, just what's happening with me, you know? And then I realized that being intuitive, you can just connect to these invisible realms or an invisible energy and things that are around you in a completely different ways. How do you describe, because while I've been studying this a bit, there's lots of different ways that people come into this idea of being empathetic or being an empath. How do you describe it? So being an empath is basically being a sensitive energy sponge, tapping in and tuning in to everybody else around you. And I always say they're empowered empath and the journey of being unaware empath. It's when you care so much about others, what they think, how they're going to react. Are they comfortable? You know, that's the biggest thing for empath. Are you comfortable? Are you good? You know, I want to make sure everybody's good around me and you don't take care of yourself. So that's when you start depleting your own energy and pleasing people and doing these things that think will help others, but because you have that huge desire as an empath to help. And that's, I think, the biggest difference is that you're such a caring person. You're just such a caring person. You just want to make someone else's life better, the world a better place, you know. But when you're an unaware empath, you start taking action without alignment. And that's when everything crumbles. You have to go back, you know, not put yourself in a back burner, bring yourself into alignment, work on your energy first, and then reach out to others. That was also a lesson for me big one i want to talk more about that about how someone Mm. identifies an empath boundaries and but first of all i'm just really curious to unpack a bit more do you think that people are born empathetic as an empath or do you think it is a adaptation to the environment that you grow up in so i've been working with a lot of clients doing a lot of research on that as well and what i notice that can go both ways if I intuitively have to answer this question, I would say we are born a certain way with, you know, either one of our parents was highly empathetic or an empath. But then you can develop maybe certain traumas, you know, being misunderstood as a child, especially. And then you start bottling up your emotions more, being detached from your emotions. And then you start craving more of that alignment. So I would say it can go both ways, but it's based on the research. However, if I would have to answer this question, I think you are born as an empath. That's how I feel. 
So interesting because some of what you're describing I experienced, but the label that I've put to it is hypervigilance because mm. moods were unpredictable in my house. And again, like it was not an emotionally safe landscape. So I became very good at reading energy. I can notice as someone walks into a room and if there are 99 people are happy, the hundredth person who may just have a slight off energy, I notice that person. So it's so fascinating to think about, was I born with that? Or was that because of an adaptation that I made mm-hmm. in order to stay safe in my home environment when I was zero yeah. five, which of course is when our parties, as we like to call them, but that's, you know, get built. Yeah, I totally hear you. You know, like my friend Judith Orlov, she says that empaths don't have regular filters other people have, so to speak. And there is actually explanation there with Mira Noren research. And I know people in my life who can watch a violent movie and they will be completely fine afterwards without either becoming violent or just kind of, you know, filtering it and passing through that. I know specifically I cannot watch news and violent things like that. Even if it's a comedy with a dark twist, I have a hard time with it. You know, depends on a genre and depends on the comedy as well. But I know people can take up to a few weeks for them to get back to feel normal again for empath. So I would say there's definitely this filtration system that empaths just don't have. You know, you can work that up and become empowered so you don't have to absorb everything but overall I always connect that term to a light worker you look at the light and bright side all the time you kind of want to embrace the darkness but then go ahead and jump into the light and bring light into any situation that's why empaths are so good at you know if there's an argument between two people that will mediate and you know just be there and lift that situation up I love how you talked about making the transition from the unaware empath to the empowered empath. Can you talk a bit to how that happens and some of the tools? I love how you talk about energy, boundaries, anxiety. All of this fascinates me. Well, the first step is actually self-awareness and self-acceptance. I always say when you learn about that, let's say a label that is an empath, right? You have two choices here. You have a choice to say, or poor me, I'm just going to absorb everybody's energy and what am I going to do? So you look through the lens of fear and through the lens of pity, or you can say, oh gosh, just like I felt, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm glad. I'm glad it's out of the box. There's nothing wrong with me. There is, yes, there is a label that I identify with. So that's the first step is how you view that acceptance. A lot of people say it's a gift and a curse. I would say pick one because you cannot pick both. (laughs) You pick one and that's how you're going to take your next step in your journey. So step number one is self-awareness and self-acceptance of that nothing wrong with you. And another step, the second step, I would say, understanding that being sensitive is actually a gift if you know how to use it and 
It's not something, you know, I always say sensitive people are not weak or naive. When they take their power back, they can be amazing. Healers, amazing. Doctors, it it doesn't matter what area of expertise you are. You can really bring so much light and with confidence and empathy and compassion that other people struggle. I would say non-empath struggle to bring towards They have other maybe logical aspects that work well in their life, in their mind, right? But empaths kind of take that extra step of seeing and feeling what's happening. And when they become empowered, they can do it without taking all of that on into their energy, you know? Can you talk to that? Because I think that's such an important thing is that if people identify that, I think you describe it as feeling really drained around people. People feel great around you but you will walk away if you're an empath feeling pretty drained. Can you talk to how we might use boundaries to protect our own energy? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing, the most important thing I would say to get to know your energy, that means to ask yourself, how do I feel when I am replenishing myself when I'm alone, maybe I took a long bath and I have time to feel better. How do I feel when no one is around me? So that would be the first kind of exercise to do, to notice your sensations, feelings. Do you feel irritated? Do you feel anxious? Or maybe you're reading your favorite book and you feel very peaceful. So let's say that most of my clients say, oh, you know what? I feel perfectly fine when no no one is around me. And I said, well, that's your energy. That's who you are. So what happens is that when you create sort of like a memory foam in your energy, when you spend more time alone, take care of yourself, take care of your needs, when you go out into the world with so much going on, you sort of can filter it out and Feel if it's something that doesn't belong to you, so to speak. And it's usually a sudden change of mood. I remember I would go to do grocery shopping or, you know, running different kinds of shoppings. When kids were little, I had to do a lot of this. <laughs> I remember I would walk into the mall, into the store and feeling fine. Maybe I just had a good night's sleep and just walk out having these body aches and my mood would just change suddenly. I would feel anxious all of a sudden. I'm like, what's happening? What gives? Just noticing that if you're not taking care of yourself, and for sure, I was not taking care of myself when my children were little. That's when you start feeling depleted and you don't have the energy even to recognize what it feels like to be you and when someone else's energy starts surrounding you, so to speak. So that's the first step. You do that exercise to get to know your energy, what it feels like to be me. And the second step, when you bring that awareness again, let's say you had that sudden change of mood or, you know, maybe you feel great one moment and then certain sadness, you know, or you feel just different. That's a good way to bring awareness and ask yourself, Does this feeling belong to me right now, this moment, or someone else? Does this experience, does this feeling, does this energy belong to me or someone else? I remember it was a while ago when we were renting at that time and we were looking at the houses and we went to look at one house and there was a couple that met us and we looked at the house, but there was a lot of tension in the house and something was happening. I just couldn't put my finger on it, you know, maybe something between them. 
So and we looked at the house. I said, okay, we'll let you know, guys, you know, by the end of the day or tomorrow, whatever. And then I came home and I was perfectly feeling fine. And then in three to four hours by 7 p.m. when your energy usually settles in, you start relaxing more. And I started feeling like, why am I so depressed and sad all of a sudden? What's happening? So I couldn't put my finger on it, even though I've already been coaching people, doing this work. And then I, oh, okay. Can it be that I kind of absorbed that energy and it was carrying in and I felt it later in a day when I was able to relax and kind of bring more awareness. So the moment when I did this exercise, does this belong to me or someone else? I felt instantly better. So this awareness itself helped me bring my energy, kind of center it and ground it within my own body. What struck me as you were talking is the sponge element, you talked about it before briefly. And I'm wondering how as a mum of three, because children notoriously have not learned yet to shut down their emotions. So typically they will be out there. They'll be tantruming one minute, laughing the next, on the floor wailing and then having fun laughing. I mean, it's just like a roller coaster, right? So I'm wondering how do you help parents, mothers specifically who are empaths on the Mm -hmm. parenting journey, manage their energy. It'd be great to unpack that bit. I'm glad you brought it up because I remember, and still sometimes I have those days, you're right, like the energy is pouring in, they don't know how to manage it, and (laughs) you're just standing there. The first thing that I want to say, there are just so many things I want to say, I feel passionate about this subject. The first thing is that what I realized is that words don't teach really. Words will not teach my children. And I remember that from my own experience when my mom would be saying me something, trying to teach me like a life lesson, which was a good lesson, but I would not grasp it. It's the life experience and example itself teaches it. So I realized the more I'm in alignment, meaning I take care of myself, of my energy, they see that and they feel that. Another aspect of this is that if I'm good with boundaries with myself and with them, they grow up and they're not going to be people pleasers as well. So if they see that by 9 p.m., let's say they know it's bedtime or you can just do whatever you want, but my door is closed, let's say at this time, and hugs and kisses before that, but there's this boundary for them to understand that it's okay to have time when you were someone else and then to be completely okay. Well, my mom is kind of okay closing the door and saying I need time, right? So they grow up feeling the same way instead of pleasing people and going through this torture you know (laughs) we're going through so you help actually children skip that by the example of setting boundaries and I always always try to explain why and you know I love chatting with you I love spending time with you and I remind them but I'm extra sensitive and right now I feel that I can be a better mom for you if I just will take 20 minutes in my room, meditate or read a book and then come back to your project or then come back and finish the story with you. So whatever it is, just being honest, you know, just like you would be with any adult with your children as well, just being honest and open that, yes, I'm sensitive. I feel like, you know, it's too much. The loud music is too much for me. Sometimes my kids making fun of me. They're like, oh, it's 7 p.m. Mom, what are you going to say? You're tired now? (laughs) But they're not taking it 
in a bad way. They're making jokes about it. We're laughing about that. And said, you know what? Actually, no, I recharged today and I have more energy to hang out with you guys. So that teaches them, especially if children are sensitive or empaths. They're like, oh, that's completely normal if I'll do that, you know, either with my friends or with my family. When I when they grow up, obviously have their own family, they feel that's okay. And are your children empaths too, talking before about whether this is genetic or environmental? Do you recognize yeah. the qualities in some or all of them? Yeah. So two of my children are empath and one child is sensitive. So there is a little bit of difference, I would say. Yeah, how would you describe sensitive. the difference between those? So if we take that spectrum of sensitivity, let's say on one end, we'll have, you know, sensitive people, then highly sensitive people. And on the other end, we will have empath. And the difference is that sensitive people can empathize with you, can be sensitive to bright lights, loud noises, just like empath are. Empath take like a step further and they feel what you feel. So it's sort of like jumping in and experience the feelings and sensations. And I work with a lot of clients. Some of them even say, oh, Jane, I would just hug someone and I feel the physical pain, what they're experiencing, what I call physical empath. And you take that further. So yes, I would say empath need way more time and recharge and taking care of themselves, but they're still sensitive. So how do you parent empathic children? In my journey, I noticed that first I had to parent myself, again, always starting with myself, always making sure that all of these patterns are healed, knee-jerk reactions. I've had so many of them from my parents, and then I would catch myself. If I would raise my voice, I would apologize in front of my children. So that's the first step when you still feel disempowered, be aware of what's happening, you know? I feel that when it comes to parenting, being a great listener and being there for them and, you know, understand them and let them know that they're loved and no matter what's happening, you know, I always tell my kids, gosh, I'm getting emotional over this. (laughs) I love you. I accept you just the way you are because I haven't had that. So I wish someone told me that so I don't have to go through all of these stages of looking for acceptance in the outside world. I feel that's the biggest, that they feel safe. Even if they're having a tantrum, I heard someone said that when they're having a tantrum, actually it indicates that they feel safe. You know, they're not bottling in their emotion. I didn't do that. I would bottle everything in. I'm like, now it makes sense, you know. Um, But even if they're having a tantrum, that's the indicator, you know, they just can't express what's happening and they don't have words. They don't know how to manage their emotions. Especially my little one, she always reminds me, I'm so lucky to have you, mom. I'm so lucky. You know how to meditate. You can teach me. (laughs) It's like, she's so appreciative because I remind her, that I'm appreciative of her and my older kids as well. They're not talking so much about that, but they show in their actions, you know. Everything comes out from you, that self-love. If you love yourself, you will be loving, you know, that will reflect. I always say they're my mirrors. And if something comes up, I look within, first thing that I do. What's been coming up during the pandemic for you? Has anything new been mirrored back to you from your kids that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. At first it was challenging and 
what I learned, actually, the biggest aha moment for me was they're capable of so much more that I thought there were. And we don't need to be with them 24-7. It's just allowing them and trusting and having faith that they know how to manage, like logging into Zoom, doing this and that, you know, making sure their homework was done. All of these little things showed me it's like how responsible they are and they got it. They know what to do. They're equipped with everything that they need to do. So that allowed me to be less controlling. And I'm so, so thankful for that. Mm -hmm. That opened up a whole new chapter of just having this freedom and them feeling more free in our family. I love that so much. Someone once said to me, it was before I was a mom actually, and I was really struggling in a relationship with a family member and I was overhelping and controlling. And someone said, you know, every time you do something that that person is really capable of doing themselves, what you're really telling them is, I don't think you can do this. And so actually what they're hearing is that it lowers their esteem. And it just was like a light bulb for me. Like Every time I do something for someone they could do for themselves, I'm actually diminishing their self-worth, diminishing their self-belief. Because so often, like you say we try to help and control and step in but really that I mean it was all about meeting my own needs to be honest exactly yeah and you know what I also talk a lot about when we try to please someone it's a form of control too when you dig deeper into this right even when we try to please our kids and I have done that in the past too that was form of control as well where did it come from for you that desire to control Probably believing that as a mother, I have to do like everything for them. That was my belief back then when they were little. And, you know, obviously when they're little, you do so much because physically they just need help. And I feel as they grow up, then it kind of carries on and you believe that they still need my help. They need me. And probably that was also that I felt needed. That was also attachment that I also feel I, you know, that a lot of parents have, especially when their kids grow up, I want to feel needed. And that happens when you don't find that connection with yourself, feeling that there's not a connection that will substitute it. What are some of the things that you do to maintain that connection to yourself? You mentioned meditation. What are the other ways? You have a very full life, I'm sure. How are you taking those moments to connect For me, the biggest one, I started meditating probably four or five years ago and I haven't skipped a day. And I'm always saying that not to brag, but it's like drinking water for me. In the morning before I even my feet touch the ground, I'm in my bed. I just, everybody knows at this point in my family that I take, when I wake up early, I can take hour to hour and a half at this point, but 15 minutes is sufficient to get that practice done. And I meditate, I set intentions, I envision how I want my day to go. I do a lot of work in my imagination these days versus just trying to take action. And that's what I called energy prep. You prep your energy before your day begins because being a business owner and mom and doing all of these things sometimes can be overwhelming. But what I noticed that I do it in the morning and then I follow my intuition if I have to work and then I have to go connect to nature. That's a big one to me. Walk in the park, 
especially as empath connecting. I live in Florida. Thank goodness there's the beautiful ocean and I can go connect with water as well. Empath love water. It just soothes them, you know, whether it's a lake or a bath or ocean. It doesn't mean you have to swim in it just to look at it even. You know, just finding what works for you. A lot of people have that, what works for them, but they were putting themselves on the back burner. That's why they're just for God, you know? So these little things, but also things like being organized and having decluttered spaces. I noticed that as an empath, it's just, I cannot work if things are not organized for me. I feel like if I organize everything and everything nice and neat, I just feel better. It's like the energy around me is clean as well. So just like internal energy, I also take care and make sure externally it's not cluttered and you know, clear energy around me. You know, Jane, I love that you said most people already know what works for them. And I think that's so spot on. Most people do know, for me, it's a bath. Most people know it's a meditation, a book, or mm. with a good friend. But you're absolutely right as well. And what I see working with hundreds of mothers is not able to actually put themselves close enough to the top of the pile, not even on the top, maybe, but just close mm-hmm. enough to be able to engage in those practices regularly. How did you make that shift? What I'm hearing before is that you put yourself last and I'm hearing now is that you're really great at self-parenting, coming back to you first to then give to others. What helped you make that shift? Releasing guilt and judgment. Guilt and self-judgment. That was a big one for me because I think it all comes down to If I do X, Y, and Z, I'm a good mother. Or if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm a good business owner. And I started coming from a place of, I just want to have more joy, more fun. And I started connecting and sort of downloading this wisdom from the universe. And, you know, following that path, that a balance of doing things that really bring me joy and also not judging myself. I feel that's the biggest thing. Either people, and I used to do it so we can seem certain way in the eyes of others, validate it, you know, and look at me, I'm a good mother, I'm doing this, this and that. Or look at me, I'm a good business owner, I'm doing this, this and that. But releasing judgment, that was the big one. I feel that's what's holding most, if not all of the people on earth from who want to achieve their dreams, but they just feel stuck and they don't love themselves. And releasing judgment, I feel it equals you love yourself. (laughs) How does someone release that self-judgment? With practice, with self-care practice. For me, it was the connection through meditation. For me, it was the little things throughout the day that I could communicate my needs and say, you know what, I just feel tired. I would say to my husband, like, can you just take care of the kids? And I just need to go for a walk or whatever. Talking to kids about that as well. It's a not one day thing. I would always say try it at least for a month, for two months. And I have also, if someone is interested, free toolbox as well. I guide them to take those actions throughout the day. It's commitment, commitment to you, but it comes with the awareness that nothing will change. If I desire change in in my family, with my children, with my partner, with my boss, whatever, it has to start with me. And the moment it starts with me, when I say that there's nothing wrong with me, I love myself, I accept myself, and practicing that day after day. I agree. I say this often. 
listeners are probably bored of it. It's daily. It's daily. It's daily. It's daily. Because my, you know, I call it my programming Mm -hmm. is what I'm working to rewrite. And I have to do that every day. Otherwise, I feel like I fall very quickly back into self-judgment, self-criticism, fear. Very quickly, I go back there. Yeah. I'm not plugging in every day. It's kind of like brushing teeth to me. It's like I just... I have to do it. Otherwise, my life is not very fun, is the bottom line. Absolutely. That's the only, I believe, the most important action we can take. And I love how you said the programming, because we gather this information since we're a little, right, about how things should be, how the society is doing things. So we create for ourselves this fear-based negative programming that in order to get rid of it, we have to saturate our mind with all the good things and all the loving things and release. And that's why I say, don't watch so much, you know, news and social media if it's not serving you, especially if you're highly sensitive. Saturate your mind with the books, with the knowledge, with, I mean, I've read tons of self-help books, you know, that was my way to escape to the point when I got to the bookstore and I intuitively asked my you know, the universe, what do you want me to read? And the next thing I got, like, you read everything. It's time to write your own book. <laughs> so that, that was like, okay, I don't feel guided to anything anymore, but maybe one day. Saturate your mind to the point that it becomes the dominant thing in your mind because everything, everything comes from, from here. And do you feel guilty now? So when you're at work, say, and someone else is picking the kids up or they want you to do a project with them or homework with them and you've maybe got a podcast to do or you're doing something, do you experience that pang of that tension, that guilt, or is that reframed for you? I believe it's 98% reframed for me. There are moments sometimes when I would feel these things, but they're very minimal. And, you know, it's just that old pattern that I would catch myself and, oh, okay, I'm just aware of that and I would let it go. But I would say for the most part, I don't feel guilt. How did you get there? Every day practice and saturating my mind with the things that serve me, that make me feel good and our emotions what I say usually guide us. If something you're reading is not serving you, someone you're talking to, if it doesn't make you feel good, just drop it. So being aware of that, and it took me a few years, right, to working on myself every day on this. But I would say the biggest thing was quieting my mind so I can hear my own guidance and not let anybody's noise prevent me from how I want to feel. What teachers have had the biggest impact on you? So the first one, it was A Course in Miracles. Same. Yeah, that's awesome. That was the big one. It was like, gosh, I recognize the term light work. First, because that's normally like, you're normally a few years in before you're ready for Course in Miracles. That's what I... Yeah, I heard it from Gabby Bernstein. I think she mentioned it. And in the moment she mentioned it and a few like quotes from there, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go Google it and get it. That was the feeling, you know. One of the other teachers that make huge impact in my life is all of the books by Abraham Hicks. I also attended their seminars three or four times probably. And right now, Oh gosh, that's so transformative for me. It's Neville Goddard and his teachings on 
law of assumption. That's just so beautiful. That's new for me. Definitely check it out. If you feel guided, Neville's work is outstanding. It just, I live there now. I'm there. I feel like I'm saturating my mind to the point that I do create my own reality. I know we all do. And I'm more and more in charge of that. Tell us about it briefly. Mm. So law of assumption. Law of assumption, which uh, he talks about that your assumptions become facts in this world. So whatever you assume and, you know, consciously, subconsciously, you know, in parenting as well, this is so beautiful. It's like, oh, I always assumed my child would do this. And guess what? This is what manifests because we're always mirroring from within what's happening in our, what he called three-dimensional world, but it comes from our four-dimensional world, right? Within, in our mind. And I started practicing that more and more each day. And guess what? I just started witnessing how even my kids would behave differently. And I didn't even say a word, honestly. I just assumed them to be the the version I want them to be. So if we go back to Course in Miracles, it talks about that every relationship reflects what's happening within you. That's how I started healing my relationship, you know, her relationship in my family. So, and, and it just takes a step deeper into how can we saturate our mind in our imagination with assumptions of your wish fulfilled and live from that point? It just, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, I've had so many examples already. Oh, it's beautiful. You know what came up for me as you're talking, which is like, if you would expect the kind of best outcome, isn't it? If you expect the best in someone, people do tend to step up to that version you expect. Absolutely. That's been my experience. I didn't, I had never put, I've not heard of this work. I'd not put that word to it, but that's something that I Mm -hmm. practice in my life as well is expecting the best. Absolutely. I love how you said that because a lot of people are programmed to believe that you have to expect the worst, not to be disappointed. (laughs) That's a big, big belief, you know, but that's what's happening actually, if you keep it that way. But when you expect, yeah, the positive outcomes. Well, I used to be that way, of course, because that's how I think we're quite programmed. But then I realized, anyway, when I'm expecting the worst, if something bad does happen, I'm going for it twice. Because <laughs> I'm like experiencing the sadness as if it had already happened. And then if it does happen, I go. Yeah. And actually, I realized the terrible things in my life I never could have predicted. The things I was predicting and worrying about never actually came mm-hmm. to pass. So what's the point? Is kind of where I got to when I realized that the real things that knock you sideways, they weren't the things that I was rehearsing in my head that were going to happen. Absolutely. You know, and when you understand that you're in charge of your imagination and if you, what Neville says, if you can imagine it, you can have it, you know, and go into your imagination, work on your assumptions. That's the thing, the reprogramming, the negative programming, fear-based, limiting beliefs, doubts, uncertainty. We have been programmed with that from society, from our parents, you know? So it's like, what I say is not this journey, spiritual awakening journey is not about learning. It's about unlearning. So you can tap in into what what you already know. still left to unlearn? I feel, you know, as Abraham Hicks say, you can never get it done and you can never get it wrong. There's always something, right? Something that can come up. But what I feel is that once you shift, it's sort of like a domino effect. Once you shift to the edge of 
saturating your mind with good assumptions, good facts, good imagination, good outcomes and expectations that you're going to feel it less and less. I wake up every day and I say, universe, delight me today. Guess what? Great timing, amazing people. Everybody's smiling around. Everybody's nice. Give me compliments. I'm like, who? I just live in a fantasy world. That's what it feels like. You know, everything comes effortlessly. And this is our gift and this is what we can do, actually have effortless life. It's just we tend to believe that we have to work hard and so on. You know, we can have effortless life. I want to agree with you, but I feel like some things are still hard. <laughs> like when I'm knackered and there's just chaos in the house, that doesn't feel so effortless. But maybe, maybe I need to look at that. Maybe that's something to investigate for me I kind of like holding this duality of like it's hard and it's really beautiful and it's loads of effort and it's effortless at times and it's kind of a mix of all of it and welcoming all that in as my dream Mm. like you said when you asked the question about how do you think left to unlearn right that's the thing there's always will be something it's how you're meeting that from the question is what do you bring to the table If you bring higher vibrations, you know, better assumptions, good expectations, and that's sort of like a prep work. You have to do this prep work ahead of time because what's happening already, what's manifesting is just a projection of old beliefs, old assumptions, you know, that takes a momentum to manifest in what we call a present moment. So the present moment is a good anchoring moment to always go back to that place and rewrite that story. And yeah, and there's something else comes in and you're like, ah, gosh, I know how to do it now. <laughs> you know? And that's the beauty because you feel more empowered and confident. And if you would ask me this a few years ago, I would not tell you this because that's not how I felt. It was quite chaotic. It was quite... I'm like, I know all of this stuff, but I wasn't practicing it so much, you know, so things were not easy. And comparing to a few years ago and now I see such a huge difference. I think that's mirrored in your in your energy. I'm feeling that energetically from you too. (laughs) So I always ask the same question at the end of every interview, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would you give and why? A gift that I would give all mothers to the world is really to understand that they have to come first. They have to come first and take care of themselves. And just imagine a happy mother. I'm not saying having all together mother. No, you would not see me this way every day. But just that sense of happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction, no matter how her hair looks like, no matter what kind of day she had, just this acceptance and peace within. And imagine a child just in the same room with her, feeling the same way and understanding that this is it. This is what I want to feel like. She doesn't have to say a word how she did it, but her example That's how we inspire others. And that's how we find our peace and happiness. That's beautiful. How does someone access more of your wisdom and teachings? I know you've got some incredible courses. I have an Instagram account at Jane Lightworker. I have a website at newsoulacademy.com. If someone wants to start 
learning about being an empath and how to protect their energy, I have a course called Empath Healing Workshop. It's a beautiful course to take them through the steps and to support them. What I do in all of my courses, I have support groups because I believe one thing you just open the computer and just learn what you need. I like, I wish I had the person to hold, almost kind of hold my hand. And this is what I do, you know, to make sure everyone is supported on this journey and feel comfortable. I was looking at, I was looking at those courses yesterday. I mean, it looks incredible and such an accessible price point. So I would encourage you. everyone, if you've related to anything that we've talked about, to go and check it out. Thank you so much. I'm so inspired by your energy actually your words yes but I think more your energy I can feel your peace and your joy and your presence so thank you thank you so much for having me here it's an honor thank you so that was the episode I hope that you really enjoyed it as ever if you did please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon. <laughs>